0: Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Amen. Amen, church. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. If you are joining us for the first time, we are excited and honored to have you with us this morning as we start a new series on the Holy Spirit. If you're with us online, welcome. Uh, This is the first week of a new series as we get into studying through the Holy Spirit. Before we get into that this morning, though, just real quick, last week, if you weren't here, you weren't able to make it, we had a very special day and just want to say that we officially announced last week that our church is debt-free, and so, amen, amen. And uh, if you want to... Want to see that service or hear that service? It's all online, carolineforest.org. You can check that out online. Um, and that part is done, but we gotta, there's still work to do. We've got to keep going, and some more to come on that in the future. All right? So we kick off the Holy Spirit, and, and we're describing this series that, that we know that before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told us that he would send a helper. He would send a counselor. He would send a guide to be with us, an advocate, right? And Jesus doesn't lie. And so the Holy Spirit is God in us, and yet the part of the Godhead that we uh, understand probably the least. And so the disclaimer this morning, and really for the entire series, is that we will not answer every single question that you may have or, or might come up that, that regarding the Holy Spirit. We're going to do our best, though, to understand more of the Holy Spirit with greater clarity and, um, and depth by the end of our time this series and so today we we start with foundations we we have to start with laying a foundation for what's going to come in the coming weeks and it's so important and, and I will admit to you today is going to feel academic it's going to feel a little academic in a sense but there's so much that we need to do in, in work this morning in order to understand what's coming in the weeks as we look more at the work of the Holy Spirit because we need this foundation in case we have set a foundation or our understanding or knowledge of the Holy Spirit um, is not what the Scripture teaches us and stuff. So we gotta, we got to do that work this morning. And, and we start with the question very simply is, who is the Holy Spirit? If someone were to come up to you and to ask you as a Christian, if you're a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, if they were to come up to you and ask you, who is the Holy Spirit? I hear about him. I, I mean, I, I hear, you know, who is the Holy Spirit? How would you answer that? Uh, I read a funny story about a little boy in children's ministry who, uh, while the class was listening to the Bible story, he was off in the corner and he was coloring this picture and the, one of the teachers noticed that he wasn't with the class. And so she walked over to him and, and she said, you know, she asked him, said, little Johnny, what, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you over here and not with the class? And, and he said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she looked at him and she said, uh, Johnny, no, no one knows what God looks like. And without missing a beat, he kept drawing. And he said, they will when I get finished. <laughs> when, when someone asks you, tell me about God the Father... Picture God the Father. Maybe you know because of our influence of media, television, books, all that over the years. Maybe think of God the Father dressed in a white robe, maybe a long beard, those kind of things, right? Someone says, "Well, tell me about you know God the Savior, Jesus. Well, what does He look like?" And and you might describe Him, maybe based on you know how He has different artists over the years have depicted what Jesus may have looked like and stuff. But when someone mentions the Holy Spirit. Or describe the Holy Spirit, what comes to mind? Think to yourself, what, how would you answer that question? Now, candidly, I'll tell you that trying to explain the Holy Spirit is a crazy thought for anyone to say, listen, I'm going to explain in full the Holy Spirit, which would be, again, it's crazy because, because the Holy Spirit is God. He's He's infinite, and we're finite. And so, as we get into this, we, we need to know that we can know, though, and learn about the Holy Spirit, especially as we understand that we'll learn the things revealed about the Holy Spirit to us through the scripture. But as we learn more through this study, we got to also understand and and proceed with some caution that we won't box in the Holy Spirit. We got to be cautious about limiting the Holy Spirit to what only we can learn about him. Because again, he's God and there is the mystery of God, right? We're not God, so we don't understand all of those things. And I say that kind of as the as the caution and as the you know just the the awareness that we're not going to understand every single thing about the Holy Spirit. And so, so as we get into this, we're going to answer this question: Who is the Holy Spirit? You have a Bible, um, you can pull it out. We're going to be everywhere. <laughs> We're going to be all over uh, we're going to do a survey of scriptures and so you can you can look at some of these we'll have verses on the screens you can look at some of these you can turn to some of these if you want to take notes and write some of these down and go back to them uh as we uh as we go through this go back to them later i would encourage that from the very start we set our first our first part of the foundation on understanding that the holy spirit has been there and involved from the very beginning from the very beginning he's not just a new testament addition, right? He didn't just come into into the work of the the Lord through the Bible. And as we understand scripture, he didn't just come into the time where Jesus was uh, living on earth. And so so he's been there from the very beginning. We learn most about him in the New Testament, but he's been at the beginning of scripture. In fact, he goes from cover to cover. and, And I'll show you this. As you study the scripture, you can go to the very beginning of the Bible, the very first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis in chapter one, verse two, the very second verse of scripture says, The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, if you were to flip all the way to the back of the Bible, to the very last book of the Bible, we're going to see the Holy Spirit here, and he's extending an invitation, an invitation to come to Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 17. The very last last book, last chapter, right, says the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. There is never a moment, we say this a lot in our church, there's never a moment that Jesus isn't inviting you to come. Even when you as a Christian maybe drift away from him, things in life happen and you kind of you move off center, Jesus is always, always inviting us to come. If you're weary and tired, Jesus says, come. If you're thirsty and nothing in the world or there's no person that's going to ever quench that thirst, Jesus says, come. And here it is, the Spirit inviting us to come. If you jump back in the New Testament to Acts chapter 2, The disciples are are gathered together Uh, as Jesus told them to wait he gave them that command to to wait on the Holy Spirit don't do anything till the Holy Spirit comes right he told them to wait they're gathered together and then suddenly comes this this wind this rushing wind. what it what is described as comes and fills uh, fills the room fills them and inaugurates what is sometimes called the age of the Spirit in that moment in Acts chapter 2 Now, these are the disciples who follow Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They've seen what Jesus could do. They've seen who he is. These are also the disciples who, when when things went kind of crazy... Right? When things went, when Jesus was arrested, when he was crucified, that they, that they, they were unsure, they disappeared, they kind of scattered, they were, they were confused, they were scared, they were timid. You know? And Jesus is telling them, when he resurrected and in his time with them, he said, wait for the Holy Spirit. So here they are, following the commandment to wait, the Spirit comes, fills them up, they go from what? They go from scared, confused, unsure, what's coming, to what? World changers. God uses them, their lives, their voices, again, to inaugurate the the church age to take the gospel around the world for his kingdom. And from that point on, as Jesus promised them, and that radical transformation that that happened in their lives, never being the same again, that very same promise, and we sing about it in, in the song, right? That very same promise, Jesus says to all of us, And to any who confess sin and believe on Jesus Christ for salvation and faith, the promise of the same Holy Spirit then is for us today. So now with some of the foundation, let's go back to our question. Who is the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to give you five truths I think will help. There are more, but I narrowed it down to five for us. All right, so here's the first one. And again, it's going to feel academic, and it might even feel simplistic. But but ask yourself as we do this, What what would you be saying to someone? How would you describe the Holy Spirit? Here's the first one. He is a person. He is a person. It's not uncommon to hear people call the Holy Spirit an it. Like as he were merely an entity. But the Spirit is not some power or influence or indistinct thing that, that we can control, right? Rather, he is the third person of the Trinity, makes up the triune God. He is the third person. The Holy Spirit is not busy out there acting on his own accord. What he does is the will of the three persons of the Trinity. And so that's important to know, that he is the third person. He's not on his own. He's not separated. And we'll get into more of that as we get into this. Sometimes the misunderstanding is that the Holy Spirit is the same person as the Father and the Son, that there is one God who appears sometimes as a Father, sometimes as a Son, and sometimes as the Spirit. But the Bible clearly says Father, Son, and Spirit are three unique persons. Three unique persons. In Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, all three are present and distinct is where we see it. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Verse seventeen, and behold, the, for, the voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased." Jesus, the incarnate son, which we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus leaving the glory of having putting on flesh—that's what incarnate means, right? The incarnate son is baptized. God the Father speaks from heaven, "This is my son, with whom I am well pleased." The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, descend on Jesus like a dove. There, there are, these are the three distinct persons. With, within one eternal being, each acting in their respective roles. One God, three people. And because the Holy Spirit is a person, the Bible says to us and teaches us that, that we can interact, speaks to us on interacting with him. And I want to share some traits, and I'm not going to list these off. We're not going to look at all the scriptures. I'll reference where they are found. But some of the personal traits of the Holy Spirit, again, to reinforce the truth that he is a person and not an it, he's not, a, he's not a force like Star Wars, All right? He grieves Ephesians 4:30. He loves Romans 15:30. He has a mind and will, Romans 8:27. He speaks Acts 8:29. He knows 1 Corinthians 2:11. He has a moral will, Acts 15:28. He can be lied to Acts 5:3. He can be tested. Acts 5:9 he can be a witness Acts 5:32 he can be resisted Acts 7:51 all those personal traits to reinforce again the idea that the Holy Spirit is a person in, in John chapter 14 verse 17 Jesus says to his disciples this he says he dwells with you and will be in you this calls us then what he's saying to a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit instead of allowing us to think that we can just treat the Holy Spirit like a force, again, like a force, like some force that we can harness the power to to do our own purposes or for our our own will. In fact, if you want to study what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, John chapters 14 through 16 is where he speaks the most fully about the Holy Spirit. In those chapters, we see that the Holy Spirit is far from being an impersonal force. The Spirit is a person. Jesus calls him another counselor. He calls him a helper, a guide, who takes Jesus' place. In fact, Jesus said it'd be better. It's actually going to be better when he comes than when Jesus came. feels hard to imagine, though, right? But he says when Jesus when Jesus ascends, he takes Jesus' place, right? Jesus returns to the Father. He takes Jesus' place. And when you, when you look at that in, in John chapters 14 through 16, the word, he said, I'm going to send another. The word another there means one of the same kind, not of a different kind, not a different one, one of the same kind. So the Spirit of God is a divine person, just like Jesus. But unlike Jesus, he has not become incarnate, taking on human nature and a physical body. So that's the first one. establish is that he is a person number two he is God he is God the Holy Spirit is far more than a bonus companion or a benefit of our salvation that's not how Jesus spoke about him it's not how we understand scripture to teach about him he is God the scriptures teach that the spirit in every way is God Spirit and God in the New Testament actually are used interchangeably. The Holy Spirit, again, is the divine person of the, the third divine person of the triune God, so, which means for us he's co-equally and co-eternally God along with the Father and the Son. So he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent, which means he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he knows all things. As God, he's always existed, and he always will. We saw that. In the very beginning, right? He proceeds from the Father. This is the important piece here. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, though he shares the same essential nature they do. Equal of both the Father and the Son, here's the the important part. He is commissioned by the Father to glorify the Son and apply the work of the Son into our lives. And that will become more clear as we get into the next several weeks of this series. He is commissioned by the... Remember Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to ask him to send the helper, the advocate, right? The, the counselor, who we know as the Holy Spirit. He's commissioned, right? He's commissioned by the Father to do what? To glorify the Son and then apply the work of the Son into our lives. And those things happen together. As he applies the work of the Son into our lives as Christians, we glorify the Son, which then glorifies the Father. We see this to be true a few places in Scripture. The baptismal formula, which we say here when we do baptisms, Matthew 28, 19, we baptize them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Paul actually, in in 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 14, in, in Paul's benediction, this is what he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, all three of them, right there. By including the Holy Spirit with God the Father and Jesus the Son, the authors are making it very clear for us that the Spirit also God. Here's a couple of divine acts as we think about him being God. He fills the children of God, Acts 2.4. He can forbid, Acts 16, 6. He appoints and oversees, Acts 20, 28. He searches all things, 1 Corinthians two ten. He convicts the world of sin with righteousness and judgment, John 16, 8. He raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11. He gives life, John 6, 63. He is the spirit of truth, 1 John 5, 6. He teaches and reminds us what Jesus said, John 14, 26, and he helps with our weaknesses by interceding Romans 8, 26. All of those things I just listed are divine works. Only God could do those very things. And those are the things described as the work, of the Spirit of God. So number two, he is God. Here's number three. He is eternal and holy. He is eternal and holy. In John 14, Again, back when Jesus was, was speaking about the Holy Spirit, John 14, verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, which I've already mentioned, and he will give you another helper to be with you how long? Forever. Forever. Hebrews 9, verse 14, the author of Hebrews writes this. He says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's eternal and holy. I mean, we do call him the Holy Spirit. And we've already seen some of that in the verses verifying this to be true. But consider this. For the believer in Jesus Christ, again, for a disciple of Jesus Christ, the holy and eternal uh, Spirit of God dwells within our bodies. This is real power straight from heaven. Real power straight from heaven. The power and the presence of the very God in our lives for all eternity is not something that you and I just step in and out of. Like It's not something we could do any more than we could step in and out of our union with Jesus Christ. The presence of the power of the Holy Spirit is, on, is an ongoing reality for those who trust in Jesus. And it's not because, it's not because of our performance that it's, that it's true, but because of He who has promised it to us. The finished work of Jesus Christ. We sing a song about this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. That's number three. Number four, he is the agent of creation and new creation. Earlier I read the verse from Genesis, right, talking about creation. Genesis 1, 2 and his involvement there. In that verse, it it uses the Hebrew phrase to describe the Holy Spirit as breath of God. That's the Hebrew phrase, which we find it one more time in the book of Job, and it's used to describe the maker and giver of life. And i want to read that verse to you, Job 33, 4. It says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So he is the agent of creation and new creation. He is the sustainer, right? Because the Holy Spirit possesses eternal power to do what? To create and and sustain we know that his personal presence is what we need to go on living the fact that you and i are here now because of his presence and his power he is the agent of creation and new creation the holy spirit who created the world the world and breathed out the word of god which we'll get to in a minute also creates new life in christian believers he is the one who does that which is freeing it's incredibly freeing to know that if I surrender, submit, and humble myself with the Spirit within me, the same power, the heavenly power, right? Then I don't have to, I don't have, I'm, I'm active, but I don't have to earn it. I don't have to get on that treadmill of trying to make it, make it my own. It's Him at work within me if I just listen and submit. When Jesus taught Nicodemus, the religious leader, about being born again, he identified the Holy Spirit as the author of that spiritual faith. In John chapter 3, the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, verses 5 and 6, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. The Apostle Paul in Romans eight eleven, which I just referenced when I read through the list of divine acts, But this is what Romans 8.11 says. It's such a powerful verse for us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He is the agent of creation and new creation. One, One commentator, he explained it. He wrote it like this. He says, every believer... Every believer has experienced the Spirit's work in creating new life. Many Christians can relate to the experience of being unsure about God, having no interest in God, um, living their lives without God. Only then to reach a place of knowing God, loving Him, and following Him. An amazing transformation that has no explanation apart from God the Holy Spirit forming people into new creations. So we say when we give baptism, when we do baptisms, we give a shirt out. It says, new creation. In fact, Alec over here is wearing his this morning, which I didn't notice until this service. <laughs> new creation. He says what the, the commentator went on to say, he says, what the Holy Spirit does as a recreator and redeemer is a subject of much of the Bible's testimony to him and the chief part of what, he, what we call his work. And that is what is going to be focused on in the next several weeks, which is his work. So that's number four. He's a person. He's God. He's eternal and holy. He's the agent of creation and new creation. Number five, he is the author of Scripture. He is the author of Scripture. And this is such an important one for us. The same breath of God that created the world, which we already looked at in Genesis 1, right? He also created the Scriptures by empowering its human authors to write it down. Paul says this about the Scriptures in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you were to look over in 2 Peter 1, verse 21, he he says that Scripture was written as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These authors spoke from God the Holy Spirit. And here's why this is important. Because the Holy Spirit is behind the creation of the Bible... We can trust the Bible. One of the greatest objections to to the faith of Christianity is trusting the Bible. Can you trust the Bible? Is the Bible trustable? We can trust the Bible. We believe we trust the Bible and the Word of the Bible because of the author of the Bible, which is the Holy Spirit who the human offers were carried along to write it. So because the Holy Spirit is behind the creation of the Bible, we can trust the Bible and is every and is the very word of God, the power of God speaking to us in the word. And because he wrote it, we can also trust we need we need to also trust him to understand it. The creator who writes it, we should probably lean into to help us understand it. We know that's his work of of illuminating the scripture into our lives. So if you have a problem with what the Bible says, you don't have a problem with me. You don't have a problem with another person. You have a problem with what God says. So what the Bible says to us, God says to us. And he alone has has the words of eternal life. No one else has that. John 6, 68. So he is a person. He's God. He's eternal. He's holy. He's the agent of creation and new creation. He is the author of Scripture. Now as we kind of wrap up and again this is foundational come back <laughs> hear the rest of this series but as we wrap up let's, let me briefly answer the question is what is the work of the Holy Spirit in a kind of a macro view we've covered this question kind of already in this overview of, of who he is but a few more bricks right when, this, when you survey when you study the New Testament if you were to open up the New Testament and you were to survey through it We see that Jesus Christ is the one who secured our redemption. He gave his life, as he lived the perfect life, he gave his life on the cross, which we'll we'll reflect on in in Good Friday, uh, in a couple months. He resurrected from the grave three days later. He secured this. He secured our redemption. He conquered all that. The Holy Spirit applies that redemption in our lives. Having accomplished all that the Father had given to him, Jesus, what does Jesus do? And we've said this already. He returned to heaven. He ascended to heaven. And he's seated now at the right hand of the Father. And one day he's going to come back. But he's not coming back as Savior. He's coming back as King of kings, Lord of lords. And he's coming back to establish his eternal kingdom but he didn't leave us, and this is the good news. He didn't leave us to figure it out. He didn't leave us to, to, to say, this. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. He didn't leave us in our own power, in our own ability to do that. And that's what Jesus was saying. Listen, I'm going to go away, but we're going to send the counselor, the helper, the advocate who is going to be with you. So, so God didn't leave us as orphans. He didn't leave us alone. He didn't abandon us to try to do this on our own, which, again, is freeing. If you're a Christian trying to walk in step with God and live a godly life, it's freeing to know that he's not, he's not asking you to do it in your own power. He's given us the power who dwells within us. So, so after Jesus goes and ascends to heaven on the day of Pentecost, Jesus and the Father send the Holy Spirit to establish the church and to carry on all that Jesus had initiated on earth. And now the Spirit carries forward that work of Christ by glorifying him and applying the benefits of his life and his death and his resurrection into the lives of people, which therefore extends his kingdom throughout the earth. It's the Holy Spirit that's leading that way. And because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is unified, and this is an important one, with the work of the Father and of the Son, it always exalts them both. That's how we confirm that what God is doing and what God's leading to do is glorifying to the Father and the Son. If the Holy Spirit's leading us, we confirm that it's the right way because it glorifies the Father and the Son. The redemption he establishes is the same redemption that the Son purchased by the blood. Now, in terms of discipleship, and we, we use the word disciple here a lot more than we use believer or Christian just because it seems to be a little more clear and in terms of discipleship the Holy Spirit as his name implies works to make us holy he brings God's people to salvation in Christ and then he conforms us to his likeness Romans eight twenty nine and he sends them and he sends us out into the world in ministry this covers the entire spectrum of our lives so again as a disciple you don't need a platform. You don't need a title. We've all been given the ministry of the gospel in our lives and through our lives, no matter where we are, in whatever season or place or, 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 or where we live or where we work, all those places we have been given the same, the same mission, and that is a minister of the gospel. It covers the entire spectrum of our life. So as we can see, from the time we were first drawn to Christ until the day we're actively engaged in ministry and then beyond, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is at work in us making that happen. Philippians 1.6 says that, that what God began in you, the good work that God began in you, he will complete. Who does the work of completing it? The Holy Spirit. In Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, in the book of Galatians, he's speaking to them. And he says in verse 16 of chapter 5, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the, f- of the flesh. And the word walk here is a present imperative verb. I told you it was academic, a little nerdy. But it's a present imperative verb indicating a continuous action. That's why that's important. This isn't something that you just start and then you're done, or you have a, a moment of conversion and then you're done. This is a continuous action and, and we continue to do that. We, we talk a lot about here about walking home, right? This is a continuous action. Now, in the New Testament, it's, it's a, they use the word walk to, to describe our conduct, our way of life, our, our godly lives, right? And so, so here's what's going on in Galatia. The Galatians had received the Holy Spirit at conversion, as were promised. So Paul is exhorting them to continue living in the Spirit's power and resist the temptation to live under the law and in the flesh, That they need to lean in to the Spirit. Galatians 5.18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And how this works in the daily experience is clarified when he speaks of the serving one another through love, which occurs as they are led by the Spirit. That's how we know. Right? Here again, The passive voice that that is found in lead, meaning they are to allow themselves, meaning you and I are to allow ourselves, and again, freeing because we don't have to do it. We allow ourselves to be led. What do we got to do? We got to be humble. It's freeing, but it's hard because we are a prideful people. We got to be humble. We got to be surrendered to his guidance, to his voice, so he may direct us. And if we do so, in that that way, we will not gratify desires of the flesh. We will not live under the law. Rather, the results will be that the Spirit then will be able to to grow, to manifest in His indwelling presence in our lives in the form of what we call the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians 5.22, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That flows out. As he does the work within, it flows out. And I've never, ever in my life met someone who says, you know what, I got enough faith, I don't need more. Goodness, I'm I'm over the top good. Like my cup is running over with goodness. Peace, I mean, who wants peace? Chaos is much better. Love, joy. I never met that person. But that's the work that he does. It's a good description of the character of Jesus. If you were to study the life of Jesus, first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you were to study those books and you study the character of Jesus, this is what you're going to find. And that's the work that the Spirit is seeking to shape all of us into is character, the likeness of Christ. So as we walk by the Spirit of of God, Our lives will reflect Christ to the watching world. And that's that's the testimony. It's a testimony to Jesus, Holy Spirit working in us and through us as we trust him more and more. Spirit's work is essential. Essential to our continued growth in Christlikeness and to our usefulness to God in the ministry that he's called us for his kingdom. You and I can do nothing for God until God himself dwells within us and leads us. So my hope is, as we grow, as we lay this foundation, and in the coming weeks as we learn and grow in our understanding and his work in us, that he will fill us even more, move us even more, stir us even more, not individually, but all together and equip us for the work that God's called us to do. Let's lean in to being empowered by the Holy Spirit that's transforming us day by day. Romans fourteen seventeen, the last verse. For the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, lead us. By your Spirit within us, lead us, guide us, transform us. Let the fruit that the Spirit grows, plants and grows, grow deeper and wider for your kingdom. God, help us to be humble to be surrendered, to hear the Spirit's voice louder than any other, that we may walk as Jesus walked, that the characteristics that we see in the life of Jesus may be ours as we continue to walk home. And God, as always, if there's someone here or watching that needs to respond to the invitation to come home. God, you know whatever barrier it is that they've put up to respond to your invitation. God, I pray that your spirit breaks through the barrier, reveals the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness into their lives, so that today, as they confess and believe on Jesus Christ, today they're made a new creation and they begin that walk home may we walk with Jesus may we follow the Jesus way until we're home together we pray in his name